Apple presents Meet the Musicians at the Apple Store. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, writer Bill Flanagan, and tonight's guests, Steve Martin and Edie Brickell. Hi. Steve and Edie, thank you so much for coming here. Uh, Such our a pleasure. Beautiful record. I really just came down to get a preferred uh, spot at the line of the Genius Bar. <laughs> Didn't work though. Some geniuses over there though. Um, now, Steve, you started the music for this and gave the songs to Edie without lyrics, and Edie filled in the blanks. Is that right? Yes, but uh, she also wrote uh, melodic lines over the tops of my melodic lines for the banjo. Uh, so she improved them. She, well, she changed. She just didn't. She ignored them, is what she did. Now, <laughs> sometimes she followed it occasionally, and then sometimes she just went off on her own. I was inspired by them. Mm -hmm. Or depressed. Or I don't know what it was. Now, some of the songs go about as far as you can go from what we think of as bluegrass without snapping the rubber band altogether. I mean, King of Boys is a, is a beautiful song. Fighter is a, is a fantastic song. Thank you. They, they really do go right out on the horizon. Um, any trepidation about well, that from I, either of you? I, 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 you um, in the back. As we were doing this, you know, we had no intention to make a record, I would say. We had an intention maybe to write one song and um, <clears throat> And it went pretty well, I thought, uh, considering we were just sort of fooling around. And, and so I sent her another song. And, and as uh, these sort of remarkable lyrics kept coming back, I, I, I remembered something that Carl Reiner told me when he was working with Mel Brooks. And he was doing The 2,000-Year-Old Man. He said, uh, Mel started getting really good when I started to corner him and push him into a corner and see what he would try and work his way out of it. So I, that, that's what I did with uh, King of Boys, what turned out to be King of Boys, and um, Fighter. I, I tried to write, the sort, of, sort of lean a little bit, at least for the banjo, a little bit more toward the jazzy thing. And she just responded so well to it. Yeah. And Edie, you, as the record industry has collapsed, you've become incredibly prolific. Don't, don't say that. I don't, I don't mean recording. Especially today. <laughs> We're going to try and bring it back. Uh, you, well, your agent had some words of advice for you on that, didn't he? Uh, yes, when I, uh, released, uh, when I put together my first record, it was called The Crow, and it was, uh, John McEwen produced that, and I was just talking to my agent. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't even released a music record ever, and it was on CD, and I said, uh, so how many think we can sell of this? How many think we can sell? And he said, remember, Steve, you're selling something no one wants. <laughs> so anything's a win. But it's, uh, I think the, the music industry has, has recently changed. They say they're selling a lot of CDs again and uh, a lot of vinyl. Are you going to put this out on vinyl? It's already out on vinyl, yes. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. um, Edie, the... And a suppository. It's coming out <laughs> in suppository form, too. <laughs> No, well, there goes my train of thought, Steve. That, that, that's, that's an image I really didn't want to have. Um, the first line on the album is, when you get to Asheville, send me an email. So we know right away we're in the 21st century. We're not doing our brother, where art thou here? With, did you think twice about that, or is that just who you are? It's important to me to write 
what I experience and what I see because I respond to those kinds of records when I hear them. I'm a big fan of Bob Wills and I like the color and the, the, the lyrics a lot. And I noticed that he would sing about a biscuit. He has a song called Roly Poly. He's like, Roly Poly, daddy's little fatty. And he runs, it's about this little fat kid who runs in and takes biscuits off the stove. And I thought, it's so beautiful. He, he, he tells you a story so quickly. And, and a biscuit, everybody knows what a biscuit is. And it's right there in front of you. It's timeless. And that's important to me. So, but it also felt like their time. They weren't, didn't feel like those lyricists were, we're trying to be somebody they weren't. And right. so that's very important to me as well. And I felt too, uh, I had long been thinking that, you know, so many bluegrass songs are very much rooted in a kind of, uh, and not so much in the past, but, but in a certain tradition of mines, trains, although we have a train song, but you know, a certain kind of uh, ruralness. And I thought, I wonder if you could write bluegrass songs. There's a couple of people about modern things. I know uh, Tim O'Brien, who's a great bluegrass star, has done that. And so when, when uh, Edie sent back, it was like her second song or something, and the lyrics came back, uh, send me an email, I thought, oh, good. Uh, we're not pretending to be writing about the past. We're not pretending to be in the past. We are now actually in modern times. So I like that quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, it keeps it alive. And of course... You know, Hank Williams was writing about soda pop and driving the car over to the to the jukebox. I mean, it was very much about what's going on in the town. I'd it? love to meet him. That sounds great. <laughs> did <laughs> I'm name dropping Hank Williams? Did um, but you know, so much of your stuff has that sense of story. I'm sure a lot of it does come from your own life, but. It's not what we think of as confessional singer-songwriter. I mean, there's a sense of detail that's very much like a short story writer. We meet all these characters and get a glimpse of their situation. Do you know what's funny? I started off that way, writing about what I think and what I feel and what I am, et cetera. Yeah. And w one day I thought, this is terrible. Who cares? You know, I, I realized that the music that I like to listen to had colors and stories and not necessarily opinions, the opinions be become revealed as the writer shares what he or, see, or she sees. And I said, oh, once, once that occurred to me, I said, I'm going to do that. Well, it's working out pretty well. Thank you. You know, it reminds me of a story. <clears throat> I wrote a song on our second album, uh, record with the Steep Canyon Rangers called You. And it's very kind of a romantic and heartbreaking song. And a friend of mine came to me and he said, you know, Steve, you're kind of a celebrity and I, I don't think you should write that personal a song. I think it's too revealing. And I said, but it's completely made up. It's not true at all. And then it did prompt me to write a true song. I wrote a song about my wife called Best Love, which is kind of a happy, romantic song. So that's really the only personal thing I've ever written in a song. Well, as, as a novelist, uh, let me put you on the spot for a minute. What do you see in Edie's writing that seems more novelistic than songwriter? Well, I, I really do think of them as uh, in, in the short story world where a lot is conveyed in very little. You know, the, the, they're very evocative. Uh, you just can catch a phrase and suddenly a whole world is, is painted very quickly and very clearly. Yeah, the, is it the cousin or the uncle with the handlebar mustache who wants you to sit on his lap? <laughs> That's the cousin. 
based on real life? <laughs> I have a great family. <laughs> There's also uh, a great um, new take on an old folk song story, which is the, the uh, Sarah Jane and the Iron Mountain Baby. Uh, Steve had which is not a story, it's a true event. It's a true event. That Edie right. discovered. Well, tell us about it, Edie. Tell us about that Iron Mountain Baby. He came from Krypton, I believe. Uh, well, Steve sent this beautiful track, and I was walking around the kitchen singing to it, and I heard myself say, woo, woo, and I really liked it. I kept, every time the track played, I, I would repeat that, and I thought, okay, it wants to be a train song. So I Googled, I, I wanted to find the, the name of a beautiful train, and I wanted it to be a real train. I didn't want to make it up, although I, I was making some up but I thought a, a real train would be better. So I Googled trains, and the first train that I thought was beautiful was the Iron Mountain. And when you click on Iron Mountain, there's folklore. It says folklore, Iron Mountain. And you click on that, and it tells this story. And this woman in this story, her name was Sarah Jane, and I couldn't believe her name rhymes with train. I said, I'm using this. This is, this is just a great piece of luck. One thing led to another. And the, the story is so rich and fascinating that it was easy to write because... There was just so much to it. It was beautiful. Well, will you just if tell her if her last name had been Moskowitz, what had, where would you have gone? A uh, box of Ritz. <laughs> <laughs> she was on the porch eating those. That and while we play music. That would have been that detail. You know, that that kind of works pretty good, actually. Yeah. Well, well, just for folks who don't know the story of the Iron Mountain Baby, can you give us a brief summary of? Go ahead, Steve. Well, uh, I think it happened in 1904, and uh, a baby was found alongside a river in a suitcase, and it was alive. And uh, a, a man found it and took it home to his wife, Sarah Jane. And they made sort of a half-hearted attempt to find out where the baby came from, and they, I don't think they ever did find out, but the baby was thrown from the train. They found out that much. Apparently, some women tried to claim him after they put the picture in the paper, and Sarah Jane said, mm -mm, no, I'm keeping this baby. Right. I love Sarah Jane for doing that. Mm -hmm. And they if raised the baby. If you the baby out of a train, you kind of, you know, it's hard to come back and say, oops, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Where'd that suitcase, where'd that baby go? <laughs> we didn't want to pay the fee for checking the baggage. Uh, uh, you know, the other thing that, that runs all through these songs, and all through a lot of your songs, Edie, is a sense of family. And, uh, you know, it's hard not to imagine, although you can correct me on this, that, that being a mom and having three teenage kids doesn't come into... Uh, or maybe it's being a daughter. I don't know. But, but certainly there's a great sense of, you know, not always as a completely happy situation, but there's a sense that we're dealing with a full house almost all the time in these songs. Uh, yeah, that's true. I, I, I do like, but, but I also like uh, movies with ensemble cast. Mm -hmm. I do like a house full of characters, and family is obviously very important to me. Um, my kids have made me, I mean, I know maybe I don't seem it right now, but they've relaxed me as a human being. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not so much as a performer, but definitely They've, they've, they've really helped me out. Now, Steve, as, as a, a fiction writer yourself, there must have been a line or two where you said, Edie, could we just change this to that, or, or I have an idea for a little bit of, of this. We were, 
I think we quickly understood, or I, at least I quickly understood, that Easy, Edie is a private artist. And I understand this uh, when I write a certain kind of thing that it is yours. And uh, not when I'm working on a screenplay or something, it's a very different thing. You have a director, you have a actors who can, I, I'm completely fine if they need to change a word. But certain things, if I'm writing a play or uh, a book, I need to make that decision. And I, I just quickly sense that, no, and I, I, I didn't make suggestions because I really didn't have any. And, and I'm so glad I didn't because as I've lived with these songs, I've, the, the lyrics have so grown on me. And even when they were kind of crazy, you know, that, they, they grew in that sense. They, they grew to be right. It's like, oh, how did she know six months ahead of time that that lyric was going to grow on you? So, yeah, I think we understood each other. Somehow. I didn't know that because I liked it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't, has, have you guys seen the album cover yet? That's a Martin Mull painting? That is a painting by a friend of mine, Martin Mull, the comedian an actor. And I've known Martin Mull almost my whole life. I've, I've, I met him when I was in the, my 20s. And he's, he graduated from uh, RISD. And he, he was already a, a really great draftsman. And, and I've sort of been buying his work through the years. And I had bought this painting from him. It, the painting is actually five by seven feet. And, and if you can imagine that, the, the sides are cut off. You can't see that in the shape of the CD cover. And it's called uh, After Dinner Drinks. And you can tell there's a sense of irony about it. And, and I was looking at it one day. We were searching around for an album cover and just looking and I thought, gee, there's something so right about this. Because, you know, I don't know, our picture on the cover going, hey. You know. <laughs> I don't know, it felt right. It felt like something in the past and a little bit of ironic. I don't know, Steve and Edie, I don't know, it's felt right. And, and everybody, uh, I showed it to Edie and said, what do you think? And she said, I like it. And, and showed it to Rounder Records and said, yeah. And usually they say, yeah, but we'll, you know, really, now we need a serious <laughs> lot of ideas, you know, and commercial testing and everything. But no, everybody kind of liked the idea. So that's what we ended up with. I called Martin, he said, yeah, sure. I said, how much you want for it? Ah, use it, I don't care. Well, I mean, something that Martin Mull represents, uh, as in fact to you, that I think isn't completely appreciated by today's young people who go to the Apple store, is that there used to be such an overlap and a connection between the worlds of folk music and comedy. I remember Dylan right. saying once that he and Bill Cosby used to have dinner together up on McDougal Street almost every night because they were playing all the same places. And you came up through the Smothers Brothers show and Mason yes, Williams. And absolutely. And I, and I realized, you know, when I, when I was growing up and attending folk music clubs, it went like this. You would have a funny introduction to a serious song. And then you'd have another funny introduction to a serious song. And I realized as I'm now I'm touring around the country playing bluegrass, and now we're going to be touring around. Uh, I tour with the Steep Canyon Rangers, who you're going to see in a minute. Uh, I'm doing a funny introduction to a serious song. So nothing has really changed. Well, except I'm not really that funny. It's just... <laughs> Do you, and, and I realize, I'm, I'm sure you're grateful for all your, your many gifts, but 
Do you ever wish that the sequence in which you had success had been different? If you hadn't been known as a famous comedian first, would it have been easier to, I don't know, be accepted as a novelist and a playwright and a film actor and a musician? No, I, I'm just happy that something happened. I don't care about the order. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I, I, I can't change anything, and I, I've had a great... Uh, kind of acceptance that I don't, I don't know if I deserve it or not, but nobody, there hasn't been a real kind of uh, backlash that I've had mm. to face in any of the fields for some reason. I don't know why. Because well, well, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the obvious well, answer. That would, <laughs> well, usually it's the opposite. If you're good, then, then they really try to crush you. Maybe, Maybe you're just good the enough. And they go, he's no good. Leave him alone. And, and Edie, you have, by my count, in the last few years, let's say the last five years, put out two solo albums, The Gadabouts, you're the group, this project with Steve, The, uh, the Heavy Circles. I mean, you've been, you've been churning them out for, for a busy mom. Yeah, I, but I write, I write every day, and I, I love to write, and I didn't like the the way record companies um, slowed you down. Uh, by the time, when I was 18, 19 with New Bohemians, and then like we wrote all those songs, 18, 19, then we got signed, they made, we waited a year, then we recorded, and then you have to wait nearly a year for them to put it out. And, and by the time the record came out, I didn't, I didn't feel the songs anymore. They didn't really represent where I was, so the whole media splash was was really embarrassing and awkward anyway because it just is but we you just move on as a as a writer and anyway once i realized i don't need a record company to make records i'll just make these records and just put them out and i wasn't going to tour on them i just wanted to keep making music so that's how i did it and it's it's been gratifying and fulfilling i love it but you know this project with steve like gadabouts with steve gad and those guys like Heavy circles are collaborations. It's, as Steve said, you know, you, you do very personal writing, and I thought that was 100% accurate, but you also seem to like to throw things back and forth with other writers. Yeah, I, I, well, do you know why? Because um, I grew up with New Bohemians, and I still play with them, and I miss them a lot because they're down in Texas, and I'm here, but I, I'm, I would just, we, we used to go to the jam house. Kenny and John shared a house, and it was a mess, but you could play music in that house in the living room. And now, nobody, I don't know anybody who does that. It's all, you have to rent a studio space, you go, it's all, it turned into a business when I came up here, and I missed jamming with friends. And the interaction is fun because you never know what's going to happen. So, uh, when Steve Gadd suggested we get together and record, I fell in love with that band. And I realized I like to be around people and make stuff up. <laughs> Feels good. You know, you know I, I can job. now answer your question about the order of things. I have to say that, that none of my career would have happened if I hadn't started out and gotten very lucky and gotten a job writing for the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour because writing for television really taught me how to shape things, edit things, condense things. And literally, I remember I would be writing a sketch and Mason Williams would come in and circle a line, which would have been called the punchline, and he would draw an arrow and say, it's better at the end. <laughs> Put the joke at the end. Yeah. 
So it was a, a real, and, and being in the writer's room, which is, is a conversation you have, and you sort of have to drop your ego, although it's there somewhere, but you learn to take from the best and, and yell out things and, and don't worry if it falls to the ground, you know. And you also had a long collaboration with the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Yes, you? yes. I used to travel and open the shows for them, and I would play, you know, I'd, then I'd come up and play banjo with them every once in a while for the encore or something like that, and would play Foggy Mountain Breakdown or Shuck in the Corn or something. So, I mean, both of you have kind of touched on a similar idea, which is that there's joy in collaboration, but there's also some work you want to do in isolation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, is it is it a different time of year? Is it a different uh, emotional state? Can you turn it on and turn it off? Can you say, all right, I got too many people in the house now. I'm going out back and and switch on my lonely poet mode. Or, or do you just follow where instinct leads you? I think on this, we got in a groove, you know, and I happened. I, I did a lot when I was on vacation. You know, I, I went on vacation. With several people and uh, I was able to write a lot I could write a, almost a song a day or a so day and a half and it was just like going back and forth we got a lot done then and then um, I could understand what I wanted to do next if it, the last song was fast I wanted to write something slow and uh, we just got hot you know so we hope this collaboration will carry on we hope that you'll stay hot well, we've, we've, I say we're working on a musical, so we're, we're still very involved. Oh, tell, I read that in the paper yesterday. Tell us what you can about that. Well, it's so early, you know. Uh, I think the first time it'll be performed is a year and a half away. But we do have a workshop planned in the summer, and the title is Bright Star, and we've written another dozen or 14 songs for that. And Larry, uh, uh, Edie has been a great lyricist for that, which is... You know, I thought I was the professional, you know, playwright, screenwriter, but she has been so great at writing lyrics in, in dialogue, you know, because people sing to each other, yeah. you know, and I'm going to the market. No, you're not. <laughs> Can you pick up something? You know, that, they're better than that. I'm, but anyway, she's been remarkable at that. Well, this, this is a wonderful collaboration. I'm, I'm getting flashed by the Apple people that it's time to go oh, to the Oh, where? I'm so excited. Oh. <laughs> You'll have, so to young. Get, you'll have to download yeah. that. Uh, Steve, so even on your comedy albums, you had a decent amount of banjo playing, and it seems like with each one there was more and more. Did you get a lot of push from the record companies trying to steer you away from it to focus well, on the comedy? Well, uh, the truth was, I, 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 uh, when I was... When I, my first records, I maybe put one song on, and it was, I was doing it in my act at the time, so it was fine. But for my third album... The one side of the record was all banjo music. And the truth was I was out of ma comedy material. <laughs> and so I thought, well, and I knew I had a, an obligation to deliver another record and I was pretty much mentally out of the comedy business, comedy stand-up business at that time. So it was, it was really kind of fulfilling a contract. But I did, I did like the music I had on there, but it was you know, kind of goofy idea at the time. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Hi. Hi. Um, so I, my question is about the arranging and production process. It seems pretty unusual that you wrote the music first and then said, all right, put lyrics on top of this. But um, 
you know, do you, did you write out the scores, the arrangements? How did the other musicians come in? Is it all audio? Talk about oh, Peter. I think she's talking about Peter. Yeah, Peter. Peter, we 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 just had banjo vocal demos, and then Peter Asher came in, and he produced it with all of the arrangements and just beautiful, imaginative production. It's, it's he uh, the, the the actual physical process was we had essentially iPhone demos. I would email. I would record into my iPhone email them to Edie, and you had some mysterious process I never understood where you could sing over it. And I think you used GarageBand, Yeah, right? I would put it in GarageBand and plug in a mic and then send it back. And then we have, soon we had a little playlist. And one night I was playing it for our, uh, who, who was to become our producer, Peter Asher, and just for fun. And, uh, and we eventually hired him to produce the record and then some things we had charts written for. We had no written music at all, almost ever, except where we added uh, string parts. And then we had, you know, in the bluegrass world, it's basically done by ear. And we had players, including some of the rangers, played on some cuts, and we had some uh, uh, just studio musicians who could come in and they figure out the chords. You know, because the banjo, as Peter said, I can play, a, I can s play three notes on the banjo and make a, a very emotional sound, but what's the chord? It could go a lot of different ways. So that had to all be figured out. They, they did a great job. Hey. Hi. Um, as an artist, how is your music, um, what does your music allow you to express that is different from everything else you do as an artist? Because I, I came to understand, a professor told me once recently, like, you're trying to be an artist, right? And we were like, yeah, and he said, um, so you've devoted your life to expression and go watch art and listen to music because those are all different ways of, of artists expressing whatever it is they need to get out. What does music do for you that writing and comedy and acting? Oh, I guess you're talking to me. <laughs> Steve Martin. Well, I think the idea of expression is a little bit false uh, because that implies you have a message that you put into a form, and I always think that makes art a little dull. Uh, the closest thing I can come to answering that is I'm in my work, I'm trying to express the banjo. I've always felt the banjo has an emotion, and, and when I'm uh, playing it or writing something for it, I feel like I'm letting s or tapping into something or letting something out of it. I don't know what it is. Uh, Edie, to me, found lyrics that kind of express or, or visualize or make vivid what I don't have words for. Uh, so, you know, uh, you know when, you, when you find something in art that is explicit, uh, it's usually um, a little dull. But like in the story, in the lyrics that Edie has, they're, they're mysterious. You can't quite say who's talking to whom all the time, or you just get a, you can picture uh, what's going on. Um, you don't always know how, you just get a vague feeling of this, this scene. And um, anyway, I, I, I'm talking too much, but I'm also getting lost and contradicting myself. So I take, like to take back everything that I've said. 
Hi. Uh, this is for, I mean, mostly Mr. Martin, but also, if you, I mean, I also am now. I'm cool. I'm no. good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm cool. I'm good. But um, you've, you're a novelist. You're a, a legendary comedian. Uh, and you're a musician. And I, you, you keep churning out all this really great work, I mean, year after year. And I honestly just want to know where you keep finding the inspiration, where, how you keep finding these stories. Because I'm constantly being blown away by what you're doing. Well, thank you, first of all. It's, the truth is, it's not all good. But I, I found, uh, it's like, um, I'd say the first half of my life, my creative life, was spent in torment. And the second half of my creative life was spent in relaxation. And I finally kind of accepted, you, you kind of accept that your creativity is not going to go away and and you can finally relax into something and be ex and you just sort of pick what you're going to be excited by and you're not I, I don't really go around looking for things to do they just kind of come to me like I mean the whole the last 10 years have been complete serendipity you know I met the Steep Canyon Rangers and then I wrote songs that we could do and did a record, then I met Edie, and, and here I am. It was, nothing was, I think I'll write a, some music. Uh, finally, I need a lyricist, let's see. You know, it just didn't happen like that. I think it was just, I don't know, being receptive to uh, having something happen, I guess. I don't know, I can't really answer that. I wish I could. Hi, this is for both of you. When Steve, when you were writing the music, did you have any feeling like this is a train song and then she like wrote mm. you a train song or when nothing. you were hearing No, it, no, I, I felt nothing because felt nothing. No, I, I, I just liked the song. I just like I could feel a certain mood and the interesting thing was if I felt the mood of a song, if I felt, oh, this is a happy song, it would often come back like one in a particular case, it came back to be a suicide song. <laughs> so there was, you know, and I just love that because, you know, like if I write a happy song and it comes back happy lyrics, you know. It's boring. And for you, Edie, when you would hear the song, did you ever think, oh, I want to write about suicide. I hope Steve likes this. Is this going way off track? <laughs> I, I hope he'll swing with this. Was there any trepidation when you're going, okay, he's going to die now? No, I mean, I always wanted to do something. I hoped that, that Steve would like whatever I sent to him. I, I mean, I, I really wanted everything to be good. So I tried really hard to, I just, but really, it was, it's about relaxing and listening to the tune and then letting the images come. And when the images come, trust them and put them into words and just sing. And... Those tunes were really inspiring. Everyone, almost like that. Uh, thank both of you so much for doing this. It's a thank wonderful you. record. All right. Keep it going, Steve Martin, Edie Burkell. Thank you guys so much.